Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Catherine, do you know what? I didn't want to be here talking to you quite so soon, but here we are. Is it 10 days since the Buffalo shooting? 10 days. 10 days. What's happened for you in the last couple of days? Because I know for me, my phone's been blowing up. What has it well, been like for you? Well, I thought I was going to be packing for my first good vacation in a long time. And then this happened. I've spent the last three days literally in a suit doing news interviews starting at seven o'clock in the morning. Right. There's so many questions, but let's just start by giving anyone who's been living under a rock a bit of background on actually what happened in, I want to say Uvalde, if I pronounced that correctly, in Texas. Correct. Uvalde near San Antonio. It's actually really about 50 miles from the southern border of the country. So what happened is 10 days ago, we had a young man who was 18. He turned 18 nine days before. I'll just tell you factually, he was living with his grandparents. He shot his grandmother in the face, left, got into her truck, drove it about two miles away, ditched the car literally in a ditch, picked up one of his weapons that was in the car, an assault rifle, ran in the side door of an elementary school, ended up exchanging gunfire outside, we think maybe inside, but exchanging gunfire outside with law enforcement, but to no avail, and then barricaded himself in a classroom. And now we have a lot of dead children, 19 students, two teachers, and his grandmother who was injured, and there are another 17 injured. So we have 21 people who are dead. There is no one in the United States, you know, save someone who is living under a rock who doesn't know that this occurred. It's as devastating to the country as Sandy Hook was. It's as devastating to the country as 9-11 was in its own way. And I can tell you that it's not just in the US, it's reached all corners of the globe. I've been surprised by the requests that I've received from elsewhere. One of the things that when I spoke to two different radio stations in Australia, as you would expect, I was inclined to say this is, you know, not unlike what you had in Port Arthur, where you had 35 killed and 23 wounded in 96. And, and actually, I said, maybe our numbers aren't big enough. Isn't that sad? I mean, maybe wow. 20 isn't enough. And maybe we need to have 50 and 60 and 70 and 80, like you've had at El Noor, at Christchurch, at 
marijuana. When you say that, do you mean that you think that you need bigger numbers for something to actually change in the US? I think we lost 3,000 people on 9-11 and people said we need to do something about that. And everybody became see something, say something fans. Mm. And everybody became a terrorist watch. And everybody in America was American. Proud as could be, flying flags in front of their houses. And we just don't seem to be doing that here. Yeah. And I think the other thing that is so frustrating from the outside looking in is straight away this has become what seems to be a political football. And people are really entrenched in their views. And this is not an issue that should be looked through through the lenses of politics. This is a human issue where people are going to school, dropping their children at the school gates. Parents are walking in to teach those children and and not coming home at night. If we can just boil it down to the actual problem that we've got, which is people are dying unnecessarily, can we just put politics aside and find a solution that everybody can get out of the trenches for and look at? Is there a way forward? Do you even think there is? I mean, you've been doing this for so long, Catherine. You must be feeling like you are screaming into a vacuum sometimes. I do. I'm exhausted. What else can you tell me about the incident? Because obviously it's a really fluid situation at the moment. Bits and pieces of information are coming out piecemeal. Where are you getting your information from and how do we know what is fact from fiction? So first of all, one of the things I can say is if you think you've heard some great rumors, dismiss them. These are some of the hottest rumors. Kid wasn't transgender. Mm -hmm. He wasn't an immigrant. Those are false flags that are being spread. Oh, my favorite horrible horror. These parents and children are not actors with blood splatters on them. (gasps) No, not again. Unbelievable. Immediately, within hours, within hours, there were certain websites saying that the incident didn't occur. um, And then this is right by the Mexico border. There were these rumors that because they were 50 miles away from the Mexico border, that these were all actors who were trying to pull border patrol officers away from the border so immigrants and drug dealers could cross the border freely. Wow. Okay. So let me just say, to me, that sounds crazy. Where do you get your information so that you can separate it? Because you're ex-FBI. Where does the information come from that you trust? So I get my information actually directly from the FBI sometimes because I trust them. And I get the information from the police officers' mouths as they stand at press conferences. That is the information that people should rely on. They've already put the shooter's face on women's pictures and then (gasps) said, this is a transgender kid. Here's my advice, listeners. If it sounds stupid, it is stupid. Ignore it. So I definitely have had a lot of access And as you would expect, it is very fluid. I I mentioned that the shooter shoots his grandmother, who is going to survive. I didn't realize that. Has the the grandmother survived? The grandmother survived. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. She's she's the one who called 911. Bless her. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, They were confident she would survive. So I'm really excited about that. So he shoots the grandmother. He drives her truck two miles away to the school. He goes in the side door of the school. Before he gets into the school, there are school resource officers who exchange gunfire. I believe there was a state trooper involved. They exchanged some gunfire. Very quickly, two officers injured, not fatal. And then he runs into the door. So at this point, we have other officers who are running in with him, and he runs into a fourth grade classroom. The bulk of the people who are killed are in this classroom, if not all of them. Those SROs or the officers that you're talking about, were they on site already? 
Yes. That's my understanding. Okay. Yeah. And secondly, what security was in place that he managed to get straight into the school? Yeah, that was my first question too. And I'm going to tell you, he came in a side door and the reports right now are like this. We don't know if it was locked like it was supposed to be. Right. So that kind of stuff, that hurts my heart. I don't have any information right now that he actually shot his way through the door. I think he walked through that door. It was unlocked. Wow. Okay. And I will tell you that when he shot his grandmother, then he posted on his own personal site, he's like, okay, shot grandma, now moving on to the school to shoot. So like he took the time to stop and post something on his own little note. Initially, we weren't certain if it was an intended target or if it was an accident of him crashing the car. Now we know it's an intended target. Was there a reason that he chose that school in particular? Because oftentimes we've seen that school shooters have a link to the school. They're either past pupils, current pupils. Obviously, he's not a current pupil. He's 18. So what's the link? He had been part of that community and he knew people there at the school. But the shooters shoot their schools or they shoot in their neighborhoods. And he lived right in the town. School shooters generally shoot a facility that's right near their house. Now, I'm going to take you back one step before that. You've mentioned that he posted on a social media at some stage as well, and there was a gap of half an hour. Do we know anything about who witnessed it or if anybody clocked it and reported it at that stage, or is it too early to tell? No, you know what? It's not that simple. We see that headline all the time. Shooter posted intent on social media or something like that. It's more complicated than that. And there are so many websites that have like private kind of chat rooms. So nobody could see them unless somebody was in them and looking at them at that moment. So it wasn't a Facebook post necessarily. Right. What we're finding out is he tagged somebody in Instagram, as it turned out, somebody who he met in California. And he asked if she would repost a photo uh, of him with his guns. I mean, and, and he may have posted this gun picture also, but there's nothing illegal about posting a picture of guns, just saying. But I will tell you that he posted this m- a message to this California girl on Instagram asking if she would repost his guns. And she has, of course, now acknowledged this to the police and talked mm-hmm. about it publicly and said she really didn't know him very well. And so she thought it was kind of scary and she texted him back and she said, you know, I barely know you, you know, why are you tagging me? I'm not going to do this. But in the process, he did relay some vague messages. Like he said, he had a little secret and he said, I'm about to, but he didn't say what he was about to do. Oh my God, I'm actually having chills going down my spine. That is just awful. God, hindsight. And you know, the most insulting thing that he posted, understanding from looking at my intel is that he also said, I want to tell you, be grateful I tagged you. What the actual f- puts that kind of a burden on her? Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Doing her a favor. You're going to be yeah. famous afterwards because of me. Tied right. to this horrific experience for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a couple of other tiny pieces that are horrible. Think about what you see. You look somebody up, they want to friend you on Facebook, or you want to follow them on Twitter. One of his social media bios said, kids be scared. Oh, my God. Was that something he'd changed recently or was that something that had been there for a while? I I don't know. Kids be scared. So what we will find out, and I do have one other horrible thing to tell you. Um, We will get a much more uh, detailed information on that, on what we know about how he progressed down this road. 
you know, where he bought two semi-automatic weapons uh, sometime between the nine days before the shooting when he turned 18. But he had vaguely been employed. I don't know what that circumstance was. He didn't finish high school. He had no criminal history, no history of gangs. There were some domestic problems at his parents' house. Because of that, was living with his grandparents, who Mm -hmm. were not that far away. So remember I mentioned these posts about pictures of the guns? That was really just, you know, like an hour before, right? And the girl said her first initial response was, well, I didn't want to say anything to anybody. I just didn't know. And I just thought I'd wait and see. (gasps) Right? You see what I'm saying is that you don't know what the pieces are. And and now she's carrying that burden forever. Exactly. So one other thing she said, well, I, I told him that I was sick and I might be asleep. And she kind of blew him off, right? But when he said he had a little secret, then he went on and he said, I'm an air out. I am a... A-I-R, out. I'm an air out. An air out? I'm an air out. I'm going to air out the room. What does that even mean? Even without your accent, I can't understand what that means. There's all these people standing in the room. I'm going to air the room out. Clear it out. I'm going to clear it out. Oh, my God. I'm going to shoot everybody in the room. That's, That's what it means. Wow. Hold on. So when did he say that? Part of his Instagram exchange with her an hour before. That's okay. what it looks like. And by the time that she responded, he was probably dead. Good Lord. So, you know, one thing that uh, I don't have all the details on, and we're going to get a tremendous amount more over the next few days, and something that we'll talk about down the road, I think, is that the shooting started sometime in the 1130 range, or the calls to 911 came in at 1130. The shooter was taken down by an assault team at one o'clock. And Oh, okay. That's a long time. Right. So the officers who went in, the guy barricaded himself in a room. For some circumstances, they withdrew. They called the tactical team in. The tactical team did the assault on the room. I don't have the details on that, but you can run that through your mind. Okay. I've got a few questions. And these are all coming from a place of a person who has no experience in law enforcement and is just literally going on this journey like every other listener. 90 minutes, that is. 90 minutes. We've kind of got to the point and we've done episodes before where normally the response is really quick and I thought the new protocol was that you didn't stand outside and wait. Well I'd love to have the answer to that question but I will say that the officers in charge from Department of Public Safety for Texas say that the subject was barricaded the officers for whatever reason couldn't get through the door they called an assault team. That's as close as I can give you right now Mm -hmm. but we're going to put a pin in that one and have more conversations about it. Do we know what was going on in that room? Are we going to discuss that at all? We don't right now. Okay. I'm kind of glad. Yes, um, me too. I can't take any more of that right now. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. 
Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. If you're enjoying Stop the Killing, Check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. What has happened in the last, certainly, uh, five years, certainly 10 years? As soon as something happens, then one side of the political spectrum says, these are just all mental health problems. These guys are mentally ill shooters and we need more and better mental health. And then the other side says, this is a gun problem. We need better gun control. And there are more thorough answers to both of those questions. I've answered them till my throat is raw over the last two days. Because it has become such a unnecessary political football, the politics drives the conversation instead of the incident and solutions to it driving the conversation. But that's my frustration. So many people here are not focused on solutions. They're just focused on blame. Yeah. That's the thing I want to really reiterate on our podcast. We're not going to give you political views one way or the other. We want to just give you the facts, right? Because the power is with the people, isn't it? Absolutely. It's not in the laws. It's not in the politicians. It's in the individuals. Mm. Let me just give you an example of mental health. Here's a great example. We had two horrible shootings in the summer. We have many. But we had two horrible shootings in the summer of 2019 that were back-to-back. One was in Dayton, Ohio. One was in El Paso, Texas. And after those shootings, the National Council of Behavioral Health came out with the document they'd been working on. Like all these behavioral experts from all over the world 
It's 96 pages. So research done specifically to talk about how does mental health Mm -hmm. affect violence? You know, our listeners might have heard before we talked about the FBI research my team did, you know, was a writer on it. And we did all this research initially on 160 incidents that occurred between 2000 and 2013. Mm. Well, after we did that research, we took those police reports down to Quantico and we met with the behavioral people and said, okay, find why these shooters did this. And in part, help us with the mental health issues. And in uh, 2018, so many years later, they looked at 63 of the shooters where they could get all kinds of details. That's the largest group of shooters for Mm. these kinds of incidents that's ever been looked at. They had really great details on 63 of them. And they found that a quarter of them, which seems like a huge amount, 16 of them, yeah. had confirmed diagnosis of mental illness. But let me tell you what some of those confirmed diagnosis was. One had autism. Okay. Okay. Which is not indicative of violence. Mm. Right? A pretty good number of them had anxiety, mm-hmm. which I think would right now and today account for most of the world, right? There was one who had a personality disorder. There was one who had psychosis and a couple who had mood disorders. So when we talk about like anxiety, you can't say 25% of the shooters had a mental illness. I feel like those aren't in isolation, great flags. Right. Right. They're not. They're absolutely not. Exactly. They're absolutely not. And so the FBI specifically said in its report that when people declare that active shooters simply are mentally ill, that's not only misleading, it's unhelpful. And that was the FBI's comments in 18. So then this terrible shooting happens in 19. These world experts, including the FBI behavioral people, have been looking at the FBI numbers and other numbers and putting a mental health look on it. And they say that 4% of all violent crimes in the United States are committed by people who have been diagnosed with with some mental illness. And again, anxiety, right? I mean, these are not, that means 96% have nothing to do with mental illness in terms of a diagnosis. What they've said is, look, people are conflating Somebody who has a mental illness, now if somebody has psychosis, right, or schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. those bipolar disorder, those are more complicated. And if people say, for instance, stop taking their medications, they can do things. But the vast number of people who commit these kinds of crimes are people who maybe have an urgent emotional distress, like, you know, somebody who was fired from their job. So when you conflate a mental illness, a, a medical diagnosis, with somebody who is under emotional distress and you say they're all mentally ill, you're abusing the term and and you're basically condemning people who might have mental health issues. And you know what I think it does? It allows everybody to dismiss it and say, that's not me. My kid doesn't have that problem. He doesn't have any mental illness. He could never do this. The other thing that I'm noting in there, you say a quarter of those 63, so 16 people of that had mental illness. But that's not accounting for the rest of those people. So even right. if you say mental illness is the problem, aren't you missing out on the majority of the shooters don't have mental right. illness in that study? You're right. Because when you say a quarter, if you take the rest of the information from the research, they say 4% US-wide commit uh, violent crime. So if you take that piece of information and say you took the position that mental health is the problem, what would be the solution? The solution to that, even if you then could magically make everybody mentally healthy, you've still Mm -hmm. got this large proportion of people that are going out and shooting mass shootings anyway. So how helpful is this? Exactly. I mean, when you say a solution, meaning prevention, predictability, it's valueless to say it's a predictor factor. 
there are millions of people who are under solid mental health care in the United States and as is in the rest of the world, and they are working through whatever challenges they have. It's a useless predictor of whether they might commit violence. So it's not a predictor. Mm-hmm. Oh, he has mental health issues. He might be violent. There's no correlation between those, study after study after study. And let's just clarify, this is research. This is not just an opinion. No, absolutely. This is just research. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. This is research that our behavioral experts use. Mental health diagnosis is valueless. So let me just add more to that, though, because I hear all the time, you can't tell me somebody doesn't have a mental wellness problem when they do something like this. And I say, absolutely. There is definitely a mental stress, Mm -hmm. right? These are people who are under emergent, urgent, emotional distress. It's not mental illness. Mm -hmm. So they're misusing the words but they're under an emotional distress and they have reached that point. But then secondly, what if we thought somebody was going to commit suicide? How would we know that? Maybe Mm -hmm. they come to us and they say they're thinking of committing suicide. We would say that person is under urgent emotional distress. Mm -hmm. How could we help them? So if everybody would do this one thing, look at it as people who might be around you who are under urgent emotional distress, look for them help them out. 30 to 40% of these people seek to commit suicide, and most of them do. So on the mental health side, when people say we need better mental health care, uh, that would have to translate into money and into programming and mental health providers in schools who look for people who are under emotional distress and mental health providers who are available in the county. And there's no question that in the United States, at least, there's very limited resources available for free mental health care. But I did want to juxtapose that with the idea of people who say, what are some of the things that we can do from a gun standpoint? There are people who say, we just need to get rid of all the guns in the United States, which is the most extreme point. And there are 400 million guns in the United States. Mm -hmm. So that's probably not going to happen. And I'm much more of a realist right? But there are definitely people who say we need to get rid of those. And then there are people who say, we need to get rid of the uh, semi-automatic weapons. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why you should have an automatic or semi-automatic weapon, which we have probably 20 million of those in the United States. Right. And I think when Australia confiscated its weapons, it confiscated 650,000. So juxtapose 650,000 to against 20 million or more Mm. just for semi-automatics. It's Mm -hmm. most popular weapon sold in the United States is Mm -hmm. an automatic weapon. So here we have way more guns, the bulk of them that have been sold since the 1970s, since the National Rifle Association paired up with the gun manufacturers and really started to advocate for gun sales and gun rights. Mm -hmm. For the first hundred years, the National Rifle Association was a hunter uh, rifle gun safety organization. But in the 1970s, they literally had a self-acknowledged takeover of their board. And that became a group focused more on ensuring that there were no limitations on guns in the United States, no registration, no ownership issues. You can buy whatever you want. And in fact, after the 2019 shooting in El Paso, Texas, the Texas legislature passed a law eliminating any regulation of handguns. Sorry. Well, so, sorry, they've had a massive shooting and then they've made it even easier to get handguns? Did I just hear that right? Yes. Wow. Okay. Right. Why would they pass that? So the idea is, from that side is, well, if we have more guns around and the bad guy doesn't know when we're going to have them, you know, we'll be more successful. There's research that says good guy with a gun is a, a fantastic story for a fictional storybook. 
Right. Um, okay. Right. So there's okay. no research that says good guy with a gun works. And I'm not saying that one guy with a gun might not one time save somebody, but generally, no, absolutely not. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. There is no question that the United States has more guns, and because of that, it has more gun violence. And we are the only country that has that across the world. It's no secret. All the research shows that we have more shootings because we have more guns. But I think the problem is that not everybody accepts that as fact. Would that be fair to say? I mean, it is a fact. There's research after research, that Council on Behavioral Health research study that I mentioned. It's in there. There's a thousand, probably a thousand studies that have been done in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. that talk about the guns in the United States. I mean, there are very few countries that have more guns, and even the ones that do do not have the shootings that we have. So you know what I'm not doing is I'm not telling you gun solutions, and I wanted to just give you that. Yes. Well, let me ask you this question. Is there a gun solution or do we have to meet somewhere in the middle? Because it sounds like getting rid of the guns is not an option. Is it going to be more about access to weapons? I view it as kind of a Jenga puzzle. I think if there is going to be some solution that has to do with guns in the United States, it's going to be because we make a decision here in this country to put together pieces of legislation and pieces of rules and regulations that might change the access. I think when you ask about access, I think that's a good starting point. I think there's very few people who are saying, get rid of all the guns in the United States. There are plenty of people who have guns in the United States. And of course, the majority of them are law abiding citizens who take care of their guns. You know, two thirds of the gun deaths in the United States last year were suicides. Guns need to be secured. Mental health care for people under duress. How do we deal with that when they have a gun? We pass red flag laws. The U.S. Congress is talking about passing a red flag law. Maybe that's part of our Jenga puzzle. What else could be part of our Jenga puzzle? Maybe we can extend the waiting period. Mm -hmm. So instead of you can buy a gun and walk out the store with it the next day, some countries have waiting periods that are 30 days or 45 days. There are many people who advocate for a national gun registry, something that, you know, from a politics standpoint, is on the low end of probability. 
But the concept being that a registry would allow us to track guns and people couldn't just pick up a gun in a store or buy a gun from their friend. And then there's also another piece of the Jenga puzzle. Some people want to improve the background checks in the United States. And what I mean by that is here, there is a system that requires you to have your background run before you're given a gun. And there's limited information on that. It's run through a system that the FBI runs, the NICS system, and it's checking for only certain things. It's checking for if you've had a mental health problem and it's been reported by the state or the county, and if you're a felon. So it's only checking certain things. So can changes be made into the background check system? Another piece of the Django puzzle. Right now, the FBI has X number of hours to get that background check done. If they don't get it done, then the person gets to walk away with the gun. Oh, okay. Not the other way, which would make more sense. The reason that we know that there's a problem with that is we had a terrible shooting that occurred and it turned out that the guy who was given his gun, if his background check had been allowed to run all the way through, he would not have been able to get the gun. Right. Okay. For that shooting. Simple little safety nets that need to be tightened up. So what about, we have an 18 year old who walked into a store and bought a gun. What if we raise the age for guns purchases to 21? You can't buy a beer in Texas at 18, but you can buy a gun. Let's take Uvalde and the Uvalde shooter and rewind um, going backwards because if we apply any of the safety nets that we're talking about, he still wouldn't have been picked up. He wouldn't have been picked up on the next background system at the moment because he hasn't got any criminal record. He hasn't had any mental health issues that have been flagged up. So really, none of those things would help this situation. What Mm -hmm. would have stopped this situation? If the people around him saw him buying the guns, you know, his classmates are coming out, people around him in this tiny town are saying, yeah, he began to wear military style clothing or, oh yeah, a year ago he showed up at our baseball game or wherever it was and he was all in military clothing and he had cuts all over his face. And I was like, what, what happened to you? And, you know, he's like, yeah, I did all that self-harm. He cut his face. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. And he said he wanted to get a gun. And he said to somebody right around that day of the shooting, I might've texted this to somebody. If I recall, it was like, why TF, meaning the fuck, Mm -hmm. right? Is school still open? His mom was a teacher. This shooting occurred two days before school finished for the new season. So he's lashing out. He's saying these things and nobody's putting them together. You know, do they have a threat assessment team at that school? Yeah. Do they have a real working threat assessment team at that school? I don't know the answer to that question, but that'd be my first question. So summarize what you would like to happen now. I would love to hear less political posturing, more compromise at the legislative level. I would love to hear families and friends and businesses say, we're going to be responsible for the people around us. I would love to hear people stop saying, I just waited to report it because I didn't want to get involved. Everybody's involved. Nobody is safe right now in the country. We have one of these shootings every week, maybe more. 
Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it because it will happen and it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. If you've enjoyed Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping don't follow it down. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I've been dating for the last six months is a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series... And that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.